Hello there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP. First of all, how about that jingle? Thank you to my friend Netta from Toucan Talk, if you know her on Instagram, for inspiring me to add a jingle in there. And thank you to Mark, my wonderful boyfriend, for creating that wonderful tune. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Kate Van Vuren, a fellow speech-language pathologist. Kate is also a life coach, and today she's going to talk to us about all things emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and self-management. So let's talk to Kate. All right. We're here with Kate, who's going to tell us a little bit about herself, um, one of my fellow SLPs and U of R grads. So, yes. <laughs> I know so yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm Kate. I am a full-time SLP in the schools, and um, then I do some clinic hours um, in a pediatric clinic, and recently got into life coaching, which has been an amazing, amazing experience. <laughs> yeah, I want to know more about that because, um, well, you're, I mean, it makes you unique, and that's why I'm excited to have you here because it's just like a whole new perspective. Um, and yeah, how did you how did you get into the life coaching? It's definitely been a roundabout way, um, for sure. So I let's see, I graduated from Arizona State with my master's in 2018, and you know, like anyone that goes through grad school, it's a challenging two years. It definitely pushes you to your limits and tests you in more ways than one. And when I was in grad school, I was really struggling with anxiety and like borderline depression, um, was seeing a psychologist to kind of help me work through everything that was going on. You know, just the, I think that feeling of stress and overwhelm really got to me. And, you know, I think when we're in grad school, we kind of foster this like competition within the program. And I don't know that that's serving us necessarily. Um, and I definitely got caught up in that and, you know, if, trying to be perfect every single day that I had clinic and always in class and, you know, striving for the best grades, which is important, especially in a high caliber program like that. Um, so it just, it got to me and I like completely lost track of all things health related, like eating well, working out. And, um, you know, I grew up as an athlete. I played soccer through college and, um, that was a huge part of my outlet and like my stress relief. Um, and I just wasn't doing that in grad school. So let's see, it was my second year when I kind of like drew a line in the sand and was like, okay, no, like I need to get back on track of like what makes me feel good because I know that this is going to just spill into my academics and my clinicals and everything else I was doing at the time. Um, so I started just getting back, you know, falling in love with fitness again and working out. And then it kind of spiraled into the nutrition and then it spiraled into um, a lot of the mindset work. And that's really where I discovered this whole field of like personal development, really. And um, it just kept building from there. And going through my clinical fellowship year, a lot of women were messaging me saying, Saying like, hey, how do you have so much energy? Like, how do you eat so healthy? Why do you work out all the time? All these things. And it just kept growing from there. And that's when I really uh, realized that there was a space for life coaching in the field of speech pathology and really supporting the therapists that are on the front lines that are doing the hard work because, <laughs> because the work we do is so hard. It's so demanding. And like, you're always on, you know? So I um, ended up hiring my own life coach actually, because um, 
I have some, you know, other dreams on my heart too that I want to be sure I'm doing and that I'm pursuing. Um, so that was the first reason I hired her. But then I realized how pivotal it was for my career and how much I was growing in my career and personally and how it was really starting to affect all aspects of my life. Like not even just as a speech pathologist, but in relationships or friendships and then even like my finances and all these crazy things. So um, then I decided, you know, I'm going to do it. I want to be a life coach. This is so transformative. And I know how many people would benefit from having someone in their corner that one understands what it's like to really be on the front lines as an, as a licensed practicing SLP. Um, and then also understands this component of life coaching and how we can really support that feeling of like stress, anxiety, overwhelm, burnout, like all those things that we all experience. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like a bird's eye view of. Yeah. No. And it's so awesome because I think, I think especially right now, well, with, all the COVID stuff and, um, you know, we're all, our world, I feel like in the last six months, especially, but even when you're, even when I think back to my grad school days, it's like, there's constantly shifts in energy. And when you talked about, you know, the competition, there's so much competition and sometimes unintentional comparisons that happen that take away. And I mean, that whole comparison is the thief of joy thing is so true. And it's, I know it's such a, like cliche thing to say, but when you take the joy out of what you're doing or when there's something that does take that joy out of it, it causes so much more stress and, you know, those negative emotions kind of sit there, you know, and you don't, um, it's nice to have somebody, like you said, in your corner to kind of pump you up and to help you work through those things. Um, so that's really cool. Yeah, I think the comparison is something that is so easy to get caught up in, but having someone that's not necessarily in it that can kind of disconnect or detach and say, hey, you know, what if we were to look at it this way? How does that serve you better? Or how does that facilitate what you want to do or where you want to go? Because I think, especially in the field of speech pathology, like we put, you know, medical SLPs on this pedestal that in the hospital, like that's what you need to strive for, which the, you know, the work they do is amazing. It's incredible, oh, yeah. but it's so different from the work that a school SLP does. So really we shouldn't be comparing the two because one is not better than the other. They're, com- they're it's like apples and oranges. Why are we comparing them? Um, but I think it's easy to get caught up in the fact that we have to like have the most prestigious job with the highest paycheck and the whatever, whatever, when really you have to do at the end of the day, it's your job. So if it's, not bringing you joy, then you're probably not in the right setting or you're probably not in the right profession. So how can we realign to find the things that bring you joy that allow you to actually practice this profession in a way that feels good to you? Exactly. I couldn't have said it any better myself. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, I've, I've talked about it before and I, you know, I've talked to um, a few SLPs when they're like, not that I'm, I'm not, not a life coach, but I've had conversations where it's like, if you if you're not enjoying it, find the why. Like maybe, you know, because like sometimes I know I've caught myself, especially like within my first year of work, which is a whole different beast doing your clinical fellowship. But, you know, it gets stressful and things, you know, it makes you question, did I get into the right field? And maybe you did, but how can you re like rearrange things in your life to find that joy again um, or in that moment? So 
no, it's really, it's really important. So thank you for all your insight already. <laughs> um, so, and we talked a little bit about this when we first were talking about you coming on the podcast, but um, you talk a lot and through Instagram <clears throat> and everything about emotional intelligence and the importance of that and in the work that you do as a life coach and as a speech pathologist. So um, let's just talk about the definition of it, I guess, so people know <laughs> what yeah. is emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence is really, it's your capacity to be aware of your own emotions, but then also respond to them in a way that is aligns with your views and your values. Um, and then of course, also better understanding other people's emotions or the way that they're responding to certain situations. So it's kind of emotional intelligence is broken up into, I think if I remember correctly, there were five categories, but the, the two that I really focus on, at least in when I'm working with, um, my clients and what I talk about on my Instagram is really your own self-awareness and your self-management. So when we talk about self-awareness, that's you really dialing into why you're doing the things you're doing, why you're responding the way you're responding. Um, and it's just increasing your ability to recognize your own behaviors and your own emotions. And then self-management is the way that you're actually responding to that. So what um, questions are you asking yourself? What exercises are you doing throughout the day to support your management? Um, and then of course it, you know, as you continue down emotional intelligence, the, the rabbit hole, it starts talking about like relationships and, um, you know, responding in social scenarios, things like that. Um, but really the two, like I said, the two that I focus on mainly is just increasing that self-awareness. And then what can we do to actually respond to that and manage it? Yeah, that's, I'm sitting here taking notes because I'm like, I want to, I want to remember these things <laughs> for me. Um, but I really like that breakdown because um, it, I, and I've talked about, it, I talk a lot about it with my boyfriend. Like, you know, it's one thing to feel the way you feel, but it's another to choose how you react to something. Um, and it's, it's really, I mean, sometimes things happen quick and you react quickly, you know, and you don't feel like you had any control. So it's really important to maybe step back and, and look at what happened. Um, kind of like when we work with our students, right? We say like, okay, well, wait, step back and look at what happened before the child reacted that way. Like what caused that? What in the environment caused that? Maybe how did that make them feel? Um, so it's really cool to break those up and to kind of see like multiple things happened to cause a certain reaction. Um, and so how do we, I guess, develop the, you know, those things, that emotional intelligence? Yeah. So the first thing really is you have to be willing to put yourself in a situation that requires growth. That is like hands down the first thing that you have to be willing to do, because if you are constantly, you know, have the same lens on, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to challenge yourself to see a different perspective. You're not going to challenge your own beliefs or your own values. So really step one is recognizing that you want to grow um, and then put yourself in a situation that requires that. So um, I mean, one of the easiest ways to do this is podcasting. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, 
but really listening to maybe it's a it's a different speaker maybe it's um, a guest speaker that you don't necessarily agree with their values or their beliefs or whatever but still putting yourself in the situation where you say like okay I'm gonna listen to 30 minutes of this episode and see what I can get out of it and then reflecting on that how does it challenge that but the bigger question is why does this challenge me and what about this situation challenges my own beliefs or my views and it's it's really asking those series of questions so it's and it's never the first answer it's always the second one so it's I call this the like the why under the why um so why am I responding to this so you get one answer and then taking it a step further helps you better understand a layer deeper and that's typically the answer um, as to why we do the things we do right um, but in terms of like some tangible things to actually do um, journaling is like always coming up in the research it is always present everyone always talks about how powerful journaling is and that creates the space for you to one process your emotions which is your self-awareness but it also can help you manage it because it's giving you an actual outlet to take a step back and say, okay, this is what happened. This is how I'm feeling, whatever, whatever. Um, so journaling is super powerful, but also just like leaning into that discomfort, whatever it might be. Um, and having that tough conversation with yourself, you really have to turn inwards and start asking yourself the harder questions because that's where we challenge ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you all know how big I am on journaling. <laughs> so, I'm sure. I feel like everyone should journal. I didn't really get into it until I would say about a year, a year ago. And it is amazing. Yeah. I feel like everyone should journal. And I think we should encourage people to do it more. Than, <laughs> I, more no, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, that's like, I feel like people might get sick of me talking about it so much, but I'm like, nope, I, it, it works. Like it really does. Um, it helps you one, just that side, time aside for yourself. But like you said, it helps you look at yourself. It challenge, helps you challenge yourself and ask yourself, you know, maybe sometimes they're harder questions that you haven't really worked through. I know for me, like if I'm having something, like, let's say I'm having, I don't know, a, a disagreement with my boyfriend Sometimes if I sit and I journal all my feelings out, then I see him and I think it's what I wanted to say to him. It actually, I'm like, wait, I worked that out because a lot of it was really internal. Um, not always. Sometimes we need to talk things out, but sometimes it's like you realize, oh my gosh, this is like, now I get where he was coming from because I worked through it, um, you know, and and it's different for every, like I always tell people like journaling might look different for some of us. Like journaling might be, you know, opening up your computer and typing. It might be right, actually writing. And, you know, I've told people before, you can even sit and just record yourself on your phone, talk it through, like, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it, it, whatever works for you, but it's really important to be self-reflective. Definitely. So. It's me to say that recording on your phone, because when I was going through my clinical fellowship, when I first started that first you know, six weeks was so stressful. And I have a fairly long commute, at least, you know, well, everything's fairly long in the LA area, but yeah. <laughs> I would actually record myself. I would just talk to my phone on the way home. And that was my way to kind of decompress. And then later, if I felt like I still needed time with that day or wasn't quite like over what happened or anything, you know, I would sit and actually write it out and re-listen to what I was, what I had talked about, but it's so, it's so amazing. I, yeah, I'm such an advocate of journaling. I feel like we could talk about that forever. <laughs> I know. 
I know. And I'm sitting here with like chills because I did I used to do the same exact thing. And I didn't, I didn't have that long a commute. So I'm like, wait, I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. No, I totally did. Um, I learned about, you know, the, especially as a clinician, but you remember Cindy Weiniger from Redlands? Yeah. She, so during my grad program with her, our like, in, she, we still had to do clinical soap notes, but mm-hmm. she, um, she said, those could be short and really brief. And she said, what I really want you to do after your session once a week is a long reflective like journal entry. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, like it, it changed my perspective as a speech pathologist, like from the get go, because even though like I obviously didn't, you know, my clinical clinical fellowship came and I was like freaking out and forgot that at first. But like you said, like, I realized like, I'm just going to talk it through on my drive home and I'm going to reflect. And then I remembered, oh my gosh, this is what Cindy taught us, like to reflect, to think about all the things that didn't work, all the, you know, moments I maybe couldn't get through to a teacher or felt like I couldn't get through to a teacher when trying to collaborate. Um, all these things that were maybe more negative or, or great things that I was like, Oh my gosh, that was such a great session. I'm going to talk about it and then go home, maybe reflect a little bit more if I want to. But yeah, so I totally used to do that too. So cool. But I mean, it's important, right? Even as a clinician, because we have to constantly reassess how we're actually implementing treatment or doing therapy. So it's, it's the same concept with our therapy or our treatment as it is with our personal life and the way that we're responding. You know, maybe we were at a party and someone said something that rubbed us the wrong way. It's the same concept where you sit, you take a step back and you say, well, what happened? Why did that trigger me? Why am I responding that way? And it just gives you the space to really look at the situation and see, see it for what it really is, which is, which is emotional intelligence. Yeah, exactly. No. Super cool. Connections everywhere. Um, how do you, you know, when you, cause you work in the schools too, like me. So you see a lot of parents in IEP meetings <laughs> and things like that. How do you uh, relate the emotional tele- intelligence and that reflection side of things to working with parents? Oh, it's so helpful. Um, I mean, like we were kind of just talking about is really just this concept of like taking a step back and seeing the situation for what it really is. I do that all the time with parents when I'm in an IEP or if I'm having a conversation because it's not uncommon for parents to come at you full force and tell you what's on their mind Mm -hmm. and, you know, demand assessments, demand IEPs, demand you know, a thousand minutes of speech therapy a week or whatever it might be, you know? Um, but as, as we increase our emotional intelligence, we better understand other people's perspectives as well because we get better at asking the right questions. And that's one of the things that I think is really big about emotional intelligence is we develop a better understanding of how to ask the question to get the information we actually need, which is very similar to like, it's very similar to motivational interviewing that we maybe learned a little bit about in our grad programs, but um, we can better understand what the parent is really asking. So when they come to us and they say, well, my kid needs an IEP. It's like, okay, well, wait, who, who's your child? Like, I don't know. Who, who are you? Like, let me, like, please give me some background information. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, and of course, as our type A personalities, well, a lot of us are type A, um, you know, we panic and we're like, oh my God, like, who is this child? Was I supposed to do this? Was I supposed to know that? And it's like, no, no, everyone just breathe. Let's get the information we need. So 
you can then ask the question of, okay, why do you feel like your child needs an IEP? What's the concern? And they might say, well, I can't understand them. They, they're not clear when they talk. Okay. That tells us it's probably articulation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, okay, well, why, what's the real, why do you feel like he needs to be better understood? And then the parent might respond, well, um, you know, I'm really worried that if he's not understood, he's not going to be able to make friends. That's huge for a parent. That is such a big deal for a parent. Every parent wants their child to have friends. Every parent wants their child to fit in, in the school setting. And when I, as a clinician say, okay, okay, I have the information, I better understand, your concern might not necessarily be in full the articulation. It's more about your child's ability to connect with his peers. Yeah. That is, that gives me the ability to step back and say, yes, like I hear you, I understand you. And that gives you as the clinician more space for empathy or yeah. sympathy, depending on your own story or, you know, your background too. Um, and we can then kind of bridge that gap of better understanding and not take everything so personally as a, as a clinician. Cause I think a lot of times we, we have to have those tough conversations with parents and a lot of times parents come at us and they project their concerns onto us and it's a lot to deal with. And we take all that home to then our significant others or our friends or our family yeah. or whatever. And that's a, <laughs> that's a lot, you know, and no one, I don't know about your program, but in my program, like no one told me how to deal with that. You know, yeah. I was taught burnout's a thing. Compassion fatigue is a thing. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. And we weren't taught I, uh, and I kind of sounds like it's similar for a lot of programs, but we weren't taught that until the last, like we had technically already graduated and they kept us for like that short term, um, right after like actual end of the semester for three weeks, we were taught about coaching or not coaching, um, counseling. Um, and talk, they talked about burnout. They talked about, you know, uh, here's maybe a few things you could do. Okay. Good luck in your CF and nothing. I loved my program, nothing against it, but I think they don't spend enough time and they should really spend that time in the beginning talking about all of those things because it does affect you in the actual grad program. <laughs> um, it's not just about your CF, you know, and I think that, um, and that's part of the reason why I like doing these podcasts for anybody, but I want grad students to kind of start to hear like, no, like start thinking about these things at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then you'll you'll set up a good foundation for yourself when you do go into your CF year or just further down the line when working with parents and things like that. So, right. yeah. yeah and, I mean, even speaking on grad students, I think there's so much that we, when we're in our grad program, we don't have the foresight to be asking those types of questions right. because we're so focused on learning the treatment and the yeah. assessment. And that's that was part of the one of the big reasons why I wanted to become a life coach and kind of fill this gap is because I wanted a space where grad students, one, felt safe and secure in the yeah. fact that they're entitled to their emotions. They're allowed to feel stressed and overwhelmed, but there's also ways that we can combat that. And the quicker that we can educate you and really give you the space to develop these things like emotional intelligence, learn how to better counsel, how to ask the right questions to to connect with parents, you're going to be that much better long-term. Yeah. And a lot of when we talk about the emotional intelligence developing, a lot of what you actually do to increase your emotional intelligence is 
self-compassion and self-care. And so it's the journaling, it's the breathing, it's visualizing, it's having the tough conversation with yourself. It's creating boundaries for yourself and also in other relationships. And those are all of the things that allow you to be a better clinician. And that's the gap that I wanted to fill by doing everything I'm doing on Instagram and starting, you know, the program that I just launched, she shifts like that's the goal is really a a quick intensive way for um, entering or current graduate students to develop some of these skills so that they're more equipped when they actually enter the workforce. Yeah. And that's fantastic. So again, thank you for that. Cause I, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I'm not a grad student, but (laughs) I know that had there been maybe a little bit more of an emphasis on that. And I know, especially now with social media, you know, I didn't, I don't know about you and your grad program, but I didn't even know, like there was this community of SLPs on social media to go to. And I think now it's a little bit more, um, uh, it's just a little bit more overt. (laughs) And so, um, it's awesome that, that grad students can find you and connect that way and have a sense of community and support for all of those things. So definitely. I love it. And then, you know, I talking about going back to kind of talking about parents too, because I feel like um, there's a sense of, and I remember in those, you know, that quick little snippet we got of talking about burnout and counseling and grief and all those things when we we're dealing with parents or working with parents, I shouldn't say dealing with, but um, it, you know, I, I love the ideas of parent coaching in the schools. It could be a little bit harder, um, but I am very passionate about empowering parents, coaching them, helping them feel like they could do what I do with their little ones. Um, and I just, I don't know. I'm curious on how your experiences as a life coach kind of uh, lead into working with parents and helping them learn the things that you do when they're working with their little ones? Yeah, it's been very transformative. I think I used that word a couple times. (laughs) Um, I mean, this whole experience of becoming a life coach and going through the credentialing process and, and all of that has allowed me to grow personally, but then it helps me better understand where someone else is coming from and really dial in on the sequence of questions I need to ask to understand where they're coming from, what their big concern is. So it's really given me a much better understanding on the counseling piece, if you will, because we, I mean, we had a class on counseling. Um, I forget what it was called, like professional issues or something like that. But at the end of the day, it was like one lecture. It wasn't a full class, you know? So my understanding of what counseling was supposed to look like, or, you know, helping educate parents, I I didn't really understand what that actually looked like in practice. So a lot of that was just learning on the job, learning on the fly, you know, just doing it over and over again. But being a life coach has given me the, the space to better understand even like how you phrase a question it makes or breaks the information you're going to receive. So I think it just gives, it's given me the space to really dial in on, you know, things like my word choice, the structure of the way that I'm actually asking this question, the tone, all that kind of stuff. And it's, I, I've noticed, um, I've been able as a clinician to get the information I need quicker, which has been really powerful. That's awesome. And yeah, you know, I've sat in multiple IEP meetings where I say things 
And the parent, all of a sudden, it's this snowball effect of like, wait, what? You know, what are you? One, it's you have to learn, um, like you've said multiple times now, like how to take that step back, how to think about what am I about to say? How is that going to, because what is the parent already feeling? Like if you take your example earlier of, you know, yeah, the parent is coming in saying, oh, well, they, I can't understand them. And then you find out, well, really the parent's concern to their core is that, they want their child to, you know, be socially um, and emotionally successful. And so, I mean, that's, yeah, they work hand in hand, but they're really like, if that's the root of the concern, that is like, that pulls at my heartstrings thinking right. about it. Yeah. And so when you're sitting in an IEP meeting and you're about to say something, you know, remembering that, well, what is the parent really concerned about? What is, what is their, like, what are their emotions really tied to in this? If I say they can't currently produce their R's, you know, the parent might be concerned that, well, my third grader might get bullied. So just thinking about how you approach those things, I think, like you said, is just, it's so important. And it's so cool that you've, um, you're probably way quicker than a lot of us to sit there and really like take that quick step and be like, I'm not going to say it like this. I'm going to say it like this, or I'm going to ask this question as opposed to, you know, this question. And so it's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and then thinking about like going, actually being a clinician, what role do you, um, do you find that life coach coaching is playing as just a speech pathologist? Um, going into sessions. Yeah, so <laughs> this is a lot of what I talk about in my posts and uh, <laughs> what I, this was a re the really big motivating factor for me to dive into not only researching burnout and better understanding how that plays into emotional intelligence and this whole concept on self-compassion and, you know, really being able to deal with the compassion fatigue that we feel as, you know, therapists on the front lines. Um, I truly believe that you as a clinician need to fuel yourself in order to serve others. And I think we kind of have this idea, you know, there's the saying that your cup needs to be full. Your cup doesn't need to be full. Your cup needs to be overflowing because this is kind of like the visualization I give. So imagine that you have a cup and it's full and you go to work and you dish out a little water for, you know, the first session that you had, and then you dish out a little bit more for the second session and you're continuously giving. And then a parent comes to you at the end of the day and they're so mad and they take a huge portion of the water that you have left. When you come home, like your cup is empty. So there's no, there's, of course you don't want to cook a good meal for yourself. Of course you don't want to go get a workout in. Of course you're snippy with your significant other or whatever, right? But if you enter work and your cup is overflowing, then you're not as depleted when you come home because you have excess to give. And that's where like the self-compassion and the life coaching comes in is like the life coach is the one that helps you understand how to get your cup to the point that it's overflowing. We're the ones that we're not even necessarily giving you advice. Of course we can do that. Um, especially, you know, some of us like really do go into the literature and really understand the research, but more so we're empowering you to take ownership of the life that you want to have and holding you accountable to actually creating it and doing the things to get you where you want to go. And so for a lot of my clients or 
you know, I, I talk a lot with grad students because I, I truly believe that if we can take a preventative approach to compassion, fatigue, burnout, stress, overwhelm, we're going to see larger retention numbers in the field. People are going to be dropping out. You know, maybe SLPs in schools will stay longer than a year or two because they're not <laughs> totally overwhelmed. Right. But I believe that if we take a preventative approach and educate and really show them how to do this stuff, it's going to benefit everyone long term. So really life coaching just gives you the space to develop that and, and hold you accountable to creating the life that you want. And that is powerful because we're envisioning the people that we want to be. It's not, it's not so much about where you're at right now. Yes, we need to recognize that. But when you work with a life coach, you're showing up as the person that you want to be five years from now or a year from now, or maybe it's even six months from now, but you're investing in, in the person that you want to become because you know, you're worth it. And I think that we oftentimes, like as a society, not even just as SLPs, but we, we settle with being content. You know, we say like, well, my paycheck is good enough. Or like, yeah, my job is fine. Like it pays the bills. And I, maybe I'm in the minority, but I don't want a content life. I want an amazing life where I feel energized and powerful and I'm, you know, helping other women empower them to be more powerful, you know, whatever, like that's the kind of life that I want. Um, And I think that if we can take a step back and say, you know, am I settling or am I just being content? Am I immune to my pain? Am I immune to being tired when my alarm clock goes off? Like that's actually not normal. Like you should actually be energized and excited when you wake up, which I could do a whole thing on that. (laughs) But you know, there's a lot of things that we become immune to because the system has kind of created this like grind mentality. Um, so if we can take a step back and say, oh, there might actually be another way that I can feel more energized or more excited or more empowered, then maybe it's worth taking a step and trying it out. And so that's really, the life coaching helps you do that. And I truthfully, I don't even remember what your question was. I started talking. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm like, I don't remember. I'm so like, in just, I, I love this. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, just, oh, that, just about how it affects you as a speech language pathologist, you know, um, but, but it's so, it's so true. And I love that. I've never even thought of it like that, like your cup overflowing. Um, it makes me just reflect on, you know, I think about at 7.15 in the morning when I'm walking into my speech room, you know, mm-hmm. bright and early, I've got, got all five of my tote bags. Okay. Um, <laughs> and just, just thinking about, okay, so how can I be walking into that speech room with that feeling of like, this is, you know, this is my day. And after this day, I'm still going to have so much energy. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to cook a healthy dinner. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed (laughs) to have a boyfriend who um, also really likes to eat healthy. And so (laughs) at the end of the day, like, I know, like, we're going to cook a healthy dinner or he's going to be there to help me with that, you know, but it's not always the case or you're, you have kids and you want to make sure they're, they have a healthy dinner that you cook after your full day of work, like, and you want to work out. So it's super, super awesome to be able to turn to someone like you where you can help with that, or you can kind of help, help another person step back, look at everything they're doing in a day. Cause I think that's partially like, for me, even, you know, sometimes I forget, like, I have a lot I want to do in a day. So how am I going to make sure that I get to all those things or 
maybe how am I going to be okay if something slips off my list and, you know, I'm not going to get too mad at myself because I still cooked my healthy dinner or, you know, whatever. So, yeah. so no, it's still awesome. And it's so cool to hear you speak about it because you're so passionate um, because obviously it's worked, you know, for you and, and it's helpful for other people too. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a really empowering journey. And I know that you know, I did a, like, I did a lot of work in grad school to get where I am today. And I mean, of course it's continuing and I'm still learning and growing, but I just, you know, I get so frustrated when I hear people say the phrase, well, that's just how it is. Oh and yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't think it has to be that way. And that was something that I too felt personally when I was in grad school, I was like, so I just spent a hundred thousand dollars on a master's degree and like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like, I'm just going to feel stressed out and anxious all the time. Like, I don't, I don't want that life. Like, I don't, that doesn't feel good to me, you know? And not, that has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, I like or dislike the field. I love being a speech pathologist. It's something that I'm very passionate about. Mm -hmm. But it was looking at the job and saying, well, how can I make this better for me? Where can I draw boundaries or what? what do I need to do as a person to be better equipped to do this job? Because I do love it so much. And it's, it's a very powerful profession. We do amazing, amazing work, but if we're constantly giving of ourselves to other people and not giving back to ourselves, we're going to burn out so fast. And I just, I don't believe that it has to be one way or another. I think that we can find a way that, fuels you. And that's, I mean, truthfully, that's one of the really big things that I love about life coaching. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, um, differentiates from other support systems is a life coach really helps you grow in a way that works for you. You know, like, let's just say like, I'm not a doctor, of course, I'm not trying to be a doctor, but let's just say, you know, the doctor comes and they're like, oh, you need to lose 15 pounds and you need to um, start drinking more water and list all these things that you need to do to be healthy. They're not showing you how to do that. They're just saying you need to do that. And so the question is, okay, well, how? And that's a lot of what I felt in grad school where I was like, well, how do we actually do this? I'm not being educated on how to do it. I'm just being told what to do. And that's like the disconnect. So that I think needs to be filled, especially when you talk about, you know, burnout and compassion fatigue and all that stuff, because if you're not practicing it, you're not going to get any better. You're not going to make any change. So we have to find a way for you to actually make a change that's sustainable for you in the life that you have, because not every SLP has, you know, four kids and a husband. So what works for a CF who just came out of grad school and is, single and their main focus is paying off their loans, like their plan would be completely different than someone who has a family and a house and a whatever, whatever, because their lives are so different. So we can find a way that works for you yeah, in accordance with what, where you want to go. Exactly. No, I love that. And I think that's like such a good kind of note to just end the conversation on because, um, like you said earlier, I loved what you said about you have to be willing to step into uncom- like a, um, an uncomfortable situation, not uncomfortable, but a situation where you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, because growth is where, I mean, I always say this, but like growth is where the magic happens. Like that's, you know, 
<laughs> um, and I'm sure that's not my own quote. I probably heard it somewhere a long time ago, but I, I like, I, you know, when I was 25 entering my second year of grad school, I remember like having this huge just moment of like, I never want to stop growing. And, yeah. um, and I think when I think about like, am I just content right now? Okay, then I need to find a way to grow through, through whatever, <laughs> you know, if I don't feel challenged or I'm not growing, then I don't feel I'm at my best really. Um, so I just, I love that. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add or uh, share. <laughs> I'm just so glad that you, you know, had me on and I oh. hope that all your listeners get value out of this. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm really grateful for the opportunity and I'm just excited to keep doing, you know, what we're doing and yeah. keep just for the field and, and show up for, for everyone. So, Yeah. yeah. No. Well, I'm super grateful that you came on and uh, shared so much just goodness with the, with the community. Um, it's, it's so inspiring. And I always say, like, I love having these conversations, you know, it's, it's very selfish of me, but I'm like, I get so inspired, like I'm ready to go with my day now. <laughs> um, <I'm glad. laughs> so thank you. And um, I'll make sure that in the notes, I include where people can find you. Um, on Instagram and I didn't ask you this, but do you have a website that people could also find you on? I do. Yeah. It's just my name. It's katevanburen.com. Okay. Perfect. I'll make sure I include those links for everybody. <laughs> so, Perfect. so it's a click away they don't have to type it in, but um, yeah. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening, Kate. Thank you so much for sharing some valuable information with us. I totally feel inspired and motivated, especially starting off my school year. This is perfect. Um, friends, you can find Kate over on her Instagram. There's also a link to her website in the podcast notes for you to just click on and go connect with her. You can also find my website, thanksmorris.com, linked in the podcast notes where you can fill out a form to ask questions, suggest topics, or nominate yourself or a friend to be on the podcast. So always feel free to check that out and connect with me that way. You can also connect with me on my Instagram at thanksmorris. And don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, download, keep the goodness going. I appreciate all of you so, so much and can't wait to talk to you soon. Have a beautiful day, friends. Bye.